Support for the Fact Checker podcast is provided by New Pioneer Food Co-op. Celebrating 50 years as Eastern Iowa's source for locally and responsibly sourced groceries with stores in Iowa City, Coralville, and Cedar Rapids, and online through Co-op Cart at newpi.coop. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Gazette's Fact Checker podcast. Before we get started today, I'll introduce the team. My name is Michaela Ram. I'm the Gazette's healthcare reporter. I'm Elijah Dishas. I'm the Gazette's feature reporter. I'm Erin Jordan. I'm the Gazette's investigative reporter. I'm Marissa Payne. I'm the Gazette's Cedar Rapids government reporter. So today we will be discussing um, the latest coronavirus surge. So as everyone knows, um, Iowa and the rest of the nation is beginning to come down off of the latest surge, which was driven up by the uh, Omicron variant of the coronavirus. Um, over the past couple months, we've been seeing high level of hospitalizations and really seeing healthcare officials raise the alarm about their capacity, um, not just in terms of staffing, but resources and bed space too, to care for everyone who uh, has the need. Um, but we are emerging from that. Things are much better situation than they were several weeks ago, which is a good thing. Um, but I wanted to mention that in context to this check that we will be uh, looking into today, which was made by Governor Kim Reynolds. Uh, she made this statement on February 9th in relation to uh, her latest move. So for those who may not know, she has ended the coronavirus disaster uh, proclamation that has been in place since March 2020. And uh, when she was taking questions from reporters about this at the Iowa State Capitol a couple of weeks ago, um, she was talking about how data is beginning to show that uh, our COVID-19 patient counts um, also includes individuals who were admitted to hospitals of, for reasons other than COVID-19. Um, so to quote her, she says, at the height of our hospitalizations in November 2020, for 75% of hospitalizations, the primary reason was COVID-19. Today, the number of hospitalizations primarily because of COVID-19 are under 50%. So a lot of specific numbers in there that we will just take a look at those first. Um, so for the first part of that statement, uh, she was referring to November 17th, 2020. Um, and that was when COVID-19 hospitalizations across the state were at its highest peak. Um, and the Gazette's own data that it collects on coronavirus um, on reports uh, shows that that was basically the, the highest patient count I was ever seen in the past two years. So on that date, there were, uh, 1,527 patients with COVID-19 in Iowa hospitals. Um, of that, according to the Iowa Department of Public Health, um, and this data was provided by the governor's office when the fact checker reached out, um, of those about 1,500 patients, 1,117 patients, um, which is 73.14%, were hospitalized uh, primarily because of COVID-19. Um, and now we're gonna take a look at that February 9th date um, that she was referring to at that time, there were 606 COVID-19 patients. Um, and state public health data shows that 296 were primarily hospitalized with COVID-19, which is 48%. So she is correct on that under 50% marker. Now, I think, you know, obviously the data is correct, but I think there needs to be a lot more context when she's talking about these numbers. So what she's referring to uh, is called an incidental COVID-19 hospitalization um, in which the primary reason that a person is hospitalized is not because of an infection. So 
essentially what happens is a patient comes to the hospital is admitted for other reasons. So maybe their heart disease is worsening. Maybe they're having um, some other health concern that requires that higher level of care. Um, and as part of routine screening, they are testing positive for the coronavirus. So they still count within that COVID-19 patient hospital count, but their primary reason is not necessarily for COVID-19. And, you know, this is really kind of a relevant conversation right now because a lot of hospitals across the country are starting to become more aware of these incidental cases and are starting to, to see higher increases of incidental patient cases. So, um, you know, New York specifically, um, on January 17th, according to its public health data, about 42% of all COVID-19 positive patients in the hospitals across the state did not have the virus listed as the primary reason for their admission. Um, at the same time, the New York Times also reported that range could be as high as 50 to 65% at some New York hospitals. Um, as a result of that, there are states that have begun to ask hospitals to specify whether uh, COVID-19 was the primary reason for that patient's hospitalization. Um, you know, in addition to New York, we have uh, the governors in Massachusetts and California. Um, Florida has also taken a similar step. So there's, there's plenty of um, other states that are taking notice of this. Um, so I have reached out to the Iowa Department of Public Health to clarify you know, whether hospitals in Iowa report these incidental cases and sort of how they've collected this data. I am still waiting a response on that. Um, and hopefully I'll be able to kind of update you guys as it becomes available. But right now, at least, uh, it seems that the governor's office is confident that they have the data on this. Um, but, you know, I wanted to back up to uh, and provide context on these incidental cases and sort of what that means. Um, you know, it should be noted that an incidental COVID-19 case it really doesn't offer any insight on how severe that patient's illness is. You know, these patients could be asymptomatic or they could have, um, you know, really problematic medical conditions that, <clears throat> excuse me, are exacerbated by COVID-19. You know, especially if somebody is coming in um, already very ill, you know, becoming more seriously ill with COVID-19 certainly doesn't help their condition. Um, and it also is worth noting that Regardless of the severity of the patient's case, a COVID-19 patient requires more resources from the hospital. So, you know, every time a staff member goes into a room, they have to don and off PPE. Um, they, these patients need to be in isolated rooms so they don't infect other patients. Um, and, you know, at a time when a lot of hospitals are raising alarms about their staffing challenges, you know, it, it creates more staffing issues because providers caring for COVID-19 patients cannot care for non COVID-19 patients, if that makes sense, sort of minimize the risk for other patients. Um, and I also wanted to make a point to, you know, Aaron shared a good point uh, before we got in this podcast about, you know, what this really also means in the context of hospitals talking about how severe the patient counts were. Um, so I also wanted to talk about that. Um, you know, I, it should be noted that we still, even though if these are a lot of incidental cases, COVID-19 hospitalizations were at an all-time high relatively recently. Um, I think it was just maybe three weeks ago that we got over 1,000 COVID-19 hospitalizations. And at the same time, we were also seeing some strain from uh, patients arriving for worsening conditions. Um, you may remember early on in the pandemic that there were doctors raising alarms about the number of stroke patients decreasing. 
the number of heart attacks decreasing. It wasn't because they weren't happening. It's because patients weren't coming in for that care. So as a result, those patients are starting to arrive at hospitals. Around the same time, we're seeing really high spread of the coronavirus. So that's really kind of where this all comes to a head in terms of hospitals really being concerned for their staff capacity, the resource capacity, and just having enough bed space for everybody. Um, so this is kind of a lot of context, I think, for just a couple of data points thrown up by the governor, but I'm interested to see what the team thinks so far of the check. I'll hold off on kind of stating the grade that I thought she got off the top of my head and maybe just have a conversation with you guys. I think that um, it's a really interesting um, claim to check because I think a lot of people initially were like, oh, she's, you know, she's wrong. This is like, you know, misstating the, because we are all hearing about these cases in the hospital. Um, so I'm glad that we checked it. Um, I think that, um, you know, if people like the severity of their COVID, they came to the hospital. It may not be because of the COVID, but they were obviously feeling pretty rough, whatever combination of medical conditions they had to like come to the hospital. Um, so, you know, I don't know if this was like, you know, you mentioned like people like stroke, maybe deferred healthcare they should have gotten previously. Um, you know, if there's flu, more flu, things like that. I mean, there could be a variety of reasons there, but I'm, I'm glad we checked it and I'm glad you included all that context because I think it's really helpful. Yeah. And I certainly wanted to point, um, to include it just because I feel like some of these, uh, reporting on incidental cases has really kind of been fuel for some misinformation. Um, you know, I've been seeing some fact checks on just, um, you know, the increase in incidental cases means COVID is not as bad anymore. Right. That's not necessarily true for these hospitalized patients. Right. And it's not necessarily true for the resources that these patients take up at hospitals too. I'm wondering if the trend in incidental cases is, um, kind of a reflection of the people who are vaccinated since a vaccination will, it might not keep you from getting infected, but it can keep your symptoms pretty minimized or at bay. Yeah. Do we, is a do good we know point. anything about the correlation between those two or is there anything available about that? Yeah, that is a good point. Um, I mean, obviously speaking as someone who just speaks to experts about this, um, I think it is safe to say that it is a correlation, right? Because in November, 2020, vaccines were not available, but now vaccines are available. Um, and we know the vaccines cause less severe disease and less severe illness. Um, and I think it's also true that um, Omicron also plays a big role. Um, we know that Omicron is highly transmissible, which means there were a lot more patients infected than they were with previous variants, and it causes less severe disease. So a patient infected with Omicron maybe didn't know it, went to the hospital for another reason and realized that that was also a factor in their illness too. But that is a good point. I will um, I will do some digging and kind of see if there's any weigh in on that vaccine question too. I have kind of a similar question of, um, I mean, is the relationship known between like testing and these incidental cases? Because we know like during the peak of the Omicron surge that it was really hard for anyone to get their hands on a test or, you know, even things like test Iowa, it was taking much longer for tests to process. So, you know, were more people just feeling unwell, but then they were unable to get their hands on a test anywhere and ended up in the hospital. And, you know, that's like how they ultimately, you know, got their COVID diagnosis. Yeah, that is a really good question. I'm not really sure about that. Um, but yeah, to your point, um, kind of with the lack of availability of testing, I would imagine 
at the hospital is probably the first time some people were, were able to confirm whether or not they had it. So, so don't keep us in suspense, Michaela. <laughs> what, what grade did you give her? Okay, so I would love just a discussion with you guys kind of on this. I know we talked a lot about context, but on its face, she is correct on the data. You know, back in November 2020, it was about 75% uh, were primarily, hospitalizations were primarily because of COVID. And she was also right that in early February, it was about, it was under 50% that COVID patients were admitted primarily because of COVID. So just on that, um, I would give the Governor Reynolds an A, but I'm curious if you guys think further context should play a role here in this grading or if just stating it with throughout the check is enough. I'm curious what you guys think. I mean, I think the fact that she was so dead on with the numbers um, gives strength to an A. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of context and that's valuable, but I don't feel like she omitted enough context to make the claim misleading. I think people might think otherwise than what the data she presented, but that doesn't mean that her claim isn't as accurate, you know, or that sort of thing. Yeah, I think uh, context should always play a role, but I can, I think I can get behind an A for this. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I mean, because Aaron said, you know, she is like right on with the numbers. Um, so at least as far as they track, that's correct. But it does seem important to like, you know, note in the grade and all the kind of, you know, context as we have, um, you know, kind of casting skepticism around how, um, you know, how that incidental COVID case number is framed. Yeah. And to be fair to Governor Reynolds, too, I don't think um, she sort of raised this point to try to uh, lessen the severity of the pandemic or the pandemic's impact on hospitals. I, she was kind of talking about this in terms of how the new, we're sort of entering this new phase of the pandemic and how the pandemic has changed. And it looks much differently than it did in early 2020. Um, you know, I think she was kind of talking about this to sort of justify her decision to scale back from disaster response. Um, so I don't think her goal was really necessarily, and I know we don't really kind of always give credit or do give credit to that when we do these fact checks. Um, but that I, she certainly wasn't trying to lessen the severity of the pandemic, it seemed. She just seemed to just kind of speak broadly. The data is showing we're kind of in a different phase of the pandemic than we were two years ago. Yeah, okay. I agree. I think some people are going to assume that's what she, you know, it's, it's just a matter of where people come from, you know, their point of view. But I think, you know, we always we usually try to provide context, but interpret the fact checks kind of on their face and on their face, she's she's accurate. Awesome. All right, well, it sounds like this was a pretty straightforward one. Um, it was easy to check in terms of the data, didn't have to, to crunch too far with the data at least, so I was happy about that. Um, but it sounds like we might have something or a couple of things in the work for next week. Um, so I don't know if you guys wanna kind of talk about what we're thinking about working on in the coming days. Well, I'll just mention we got um, an email um, or a message um, from a request for someone from someone, one of our readers or listeners to check a statement um, by Senator um, Joni Ernst. And this came in an email um, from Joni Ernst and they just sent the whole email. So I'm not exactly sure which part of the email they're suggesting we check, but a review of it, um, that, you know, kind of looking at what our criteria is, 
There's a statement that says, as part of a new Biden administration initiative, people who use drugs will help decide how to spend 30 million of your tax dollars on smoking kits and drug equipment and supplies for other drug users. Um, she also says the department initially confirmed crack pipes would be included. Um, so I don't know if that's, to me, that seems like the only claim within it that would be checkable. The rest of it's kind of like um, Senator Ernst's opinion about this whole thing. So I don't know if we if we want to pursue that one. The other one that we had talked about briefly last week um, was a tweet by Senator Ernst where she said 283,000 illegal immigrants re were released into America this past year. 95,000 have gone untracked. I mean, in my mind, both seem like really strong claims. Um, the first one is interesting, um, just given the topic around harm reduction. I know harm reduction tends to be a pretty controversial topic. Um, so it could be interesting to kind of look at, um, you know, whether crack, crack pipes will be provided. I know that's not the appropriate term for them. Um, and maybe why. I think the context kind of behind that, that sort of initiative is always always necessary, because I think on its face, some of these things may look bad, but if you kind of get behind the reasoning why, um, it's usually a little more nuanced than that. It sounds like the second one has a little more meat to dig into, but at the same time, how often do you get to fact check something about drug paraphernalia? So like, I'm kind of intrigued by the novelty of that. Right, and we have weighed in on a little bit of the illegal immigrants at the border. I, I'm trying to remember who's claim that was within the last year, but um, we could always pick that one back up again to some point in the future. But I don't know, I'm leaning toward the the drug kit one. Marissa, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with uh, doing the drug kit one just because uh, as we said, you know, we have done a couple immigration claims before. So this would kind of, um, you know, get into some new territory that we haven't really checked before. It's a pretty hot topic right now, so. Okay, I will, I'll reach out and get some sourcing from the Ernst staff on that one for next week. Great. And then Marissa, you potentially were looking into one for next week or the week after? Yes, um, I don't remember the exact claim off the top of my head, um, but we alluded to this a little last week. Um, it was about the automated, automated traffic enforcement uh, camera systems and attempts in the legislature to ban or regulate those cameras. Um, and we're looking into a, a claim from Cedar Rapids Police Chief Lane German about how the use of those cameras in Cedar Rapids has resulted in um, you know, fewer collisions resulting in serious injuries or in the loss of life. Yeah, seems like we have some pretty solid stuff coming down the road. Um, so I'm excited to see that. But for our listeners, uh, we are always looking for suggestions or we're always looking for feedback on uh, potential checks we could look into. Um, and so if you find anything that you'd like us to, to potentially check, please reach out to us. Um, our email is factchecker at thegazette.com. And with that, it sounds like that is our podcast for the week. Um, our podcast is produced by Stephen Colbert. Our fact checks are edited by our editor, Craig Jamolis. And our music you hear throughout the podcast is Lobby Time by Kevin McLeod. I'm Michaela Ram. I'm Elijah Decius. I'm Erin Jordan. I'm Marissa Payne. And we will fact check you later.
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.